So we're back in the book of Ruth today. And, but first, I actually want to rewind to Friday. Anybody remember Friday? I don't know about you. Friday feels like a lifetime ago to me this weekend. So much life has happened in this place. In just the last couple of days, yesterday afternoon, um, we, we celebrated a life. It was a beautiful celebration of a life well lived. Gary Snyder and Gary and Margaret have a beautiful family. They're, they're here in this room as we honored Gary and the time he spent on earth, 85 good years on this earth. We got to meet and hear two of his great grandbabies, Amos and, and Mary Kate. They were both just a few months old. And so we had children, we had grandchildren, great-grandchildren, lifetimes ending, lifetimes beginning, and everything in between all gathered in this room, like we do today, like we do today. And I was watching this family cry and laugh together, smile and shed tears together. I've been watching these, I was watching these lifetimes beginning, these lifetimes ending, and I couldn't help but then just remember some words that I heard the night before at our women's conference at Identified, and I know I'm not a woman, but being a pastor has perks, so they let me in the back door as long as I help with slides (laughs) and push buttons. One of them, uh, those perks on Friday night, though, was hearing Michaela read from Psalm 139, hearing her remind us all that God is with us, that God knows us like each and every one of us, that God formed us, created us, and that God is using us, all of us. Like Wanda said, from the smallest to the tallest, the youngest, to the oldest, God is using us all, always. You have searched me, and you know me, God. Remember those words? I cannot hide from you. You created my inmost being. Lead me in the way of everlasting, God. You see, God knows us. And God has this habit of bringing us together to working things together so that good might come even in the darkest of moments. We just need to follow his lead sometimes. And that means all of us. No one is too young, too old, too busy, too broken for God to use. Like Amos and Mary Kate, like only a few months old, you got to believe that God had them there in that moment, in this sanctuary, so that we might remember the joy and the hope present at the beginning of life, lest we forget the joy and the hope present in our eternal life. Sometimes, though, I think it's easier to see God's work and plan spread out before us when the us is only a few months old, right? You've got a lifetime in front of you, a lifetime of possibilities. But other times, grayer times, <laughs> older times, it's awfully easy sometimes to look at ourselves, our situation, our, our place in life, and wonder, are you sure God made this on purpose? <laughs> 
are you sure there's a purpose for me now? Is there any meaning to me being alive anymore? How could I be of use to anyone, much less God? Are you sure God has been searching me? Because I don't think he's found me. (laughs) That's kind of the place where we left Naomi last week. She and Ruth had made it from Moab to Bethlehem. And, and Naomi told all her friends, right, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara, which means bitter. And, and, and that was kind of it for, Ruth, for Naomi. We, we don't get the sense that she did much else. She and Ruth are staying somewhere, but it's Ruth who takes action. It's Ruth who takes initiative to go and try and find something to eat. Naomi just exists. And that's kind of it. She sits in her bitterness, lost and alone, wondering if God has forgotten her. Actually, she says, God has thrown catastrophe at me. God has done this to me on purpose. And then Ruth returns from her food-finding mission. And as Ruth returns... So does hope. This is Ruth chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. We read, She picked it up, Ruth, she picked up that ephah of barley that she had gleaned and gained from Boaz. She picked it up and came into the town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. Then Ruth took out and gave to her what was left over after she herself had been satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. And then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay close by my servants until they have finished all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is better, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, otherwise you might be bothered in another field. And so Ruth stayed close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes we leave the doors of our home and out into the world, and it feels like we're barely gleaning anything from this life. Other times, there is a bountiful harvest laid out before us. Help us to see you at all times, to feel your presence on all days. Help us to hear from you today a word. You know, Lord, you always know what we need to hear. And so may we, may we hear it from you today. Amen. So here's Naomi. It took all that she had just to come back to Bethlehem, and it's left her with no initiative, no desire, no ability to act or really to do 
anything. And so Ruth moved. She went out looking for food, and now she's returned, not just with a few bits of barley, but with enough to bring home, grind down, maybe, 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 maybe well, not just enough to make a little bit of dough and bake something, anything to eat. Ruth comes home with an ephah of barley, which according to some scholars would equal 29 pounds or so of grain. It would have taken half a month for those reapers. You remember the reapers out there, they're on the top of the, the, the chain, right? It would take them half a month to earn that much. And Ruth came back with that in one day. And not only that, but was she, Ruth, were they going to have to grind that ground, grain down tonight? No, because she brought back leftovers, right? I know sometimes we're like, leftovers. But these were, these were leftovers. These were the best. I mean, I can't imagine if they'd had food like that for so long. And, and by the way, food already made beats ingredients any day of the week in my book. Naomi was able to eat right then. And we see this immediate change in Naomi. Something has awakened within her hope, purpose, a reminder that her God does know her, did create her, that God still has something for her. God's not just going to let her starve and die. Where did you glean? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you, she says, who gave so much to you. Especially in a world, by the way, we're reminded of this again and again, where Ruth alone out in a the field, there's something else that men would most likely take from her than to give anything. We see this change. You can almost feel Naomi come alive because remember her last words, the last words she spoke to Ruth when Ruth asked permission to glean were just, go ahead, go ahead. That was it. But now when Ruth returns, Naomi is spouting blessings. You can feel this hope rise. And when Ruth tells her that the man's name is Boaz, the dam breaks and Naomi can't contain herself. Blessed be he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Blessed be he, this man is who is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. Blessings upon blessings. This from a woman who just a day before had said, God has brought calamity on me. Now she's saying, God is blessing us and Boaz and everyone. This from a woman who was giving up. Now she's handing out God's blessings. Now she's almost dancing with joy. Now she's talking about Boaz's kindness. And this is cool. You kind of feel it a little bit in the English, but in the Hebrew, you really see it, that we're not sure if she's talking about Boaz's kindness or God's kindness, or maybe it's just both and there's no separation. Boaz has not forsaken. God has not forsaken the living or the dead. I'm like, okay, the living. Yeah, God is providing, but how is God not forsaken the dead, her husband and her two sons? The answer to that question lies with Boaz because as one of their nearest kin, Boaz has a unique role to play in Naomi and Ruth's life in their redemption. You see the word translated as nearest kin in Hebrew, ga'al, it means redemption. Specifically here, it means a relative who is capable of, even obligated to, redeem someone. 
and specifically in Leviticus and Numbers, to redeem property. Kinsman redeemer is the way you may have heard it translated. Because remember, this time in history, and especially this time in the history of God's people, the Israelites, land matters a great deal. And not just because owning land means you have something to eat. You have shelter, you have a place to be and a a source of food. It also means, it's also important land is because the right land needed to stay with the right people. The Old Testament book right before Ruth is Judges, and Judges takes great pains to remind us which land God wanted to belong to which tribe. It also means that continuing your family line is incredibly important. And so we read in Leviticus and Numbers and even later in Jeremiah how God laid out laws to ensure that the right land stayed with the right descendants. So if a family was at risk of losing their land to strangers or having to give up their land to repay a debt, a close kinsman was obligated to redeem that land through money or other means so that it didn't fall into the hands of a person who God didn't intend to have that land. And the same was true for a family line. If if a male dies without an heir, then a near kinsman, a brother, or in this case, a close relative, is required to provide an heir, I know this is weird today, with the deceased person's wife. And that child would then continue the, the, the dead brother or kinsman's family line. That child would be considered the dead husband's child inheriting property and providing for a family. Boaz, Naomi says, is potentially this kinsman redeemer. Can you feel how important this fact is? Not just to Ruth. You know, potentially, in the best case scenario, Ruth could have, could have gone off on her own and maybe found someone for her to take care of her husband. Remember, that's the time we live in. But Naomi, her future lies in somebody providing an heir for her son's. Can you feel how important this kinsman redeemer is to Naomi? How, how much hope it might bring to her? Talk about redemption. It's almost like Naomi has come back from the dead. Hope is alive once more. A future is possible. Her dead sons may yet have living sons. The line continues. Her hope continues. Her future continues. And so all of a sudden, Naomi is no longer passive. Naomi is no longer Go ahead and do whatever. It's not going to matter. Bitter Mara. Naomi begins to take control of things. Naomi is beginning to act. She's beginning to move. Stay with Boaz's women, Ruth. Stay in Boaz's field, Ruth. Stay close to Boaz, Ruth. I've got plans for you and that man. (laughs) Plans to give both of us hope and a future. And I think this is sometimes where we get sideways, especially with the book of Ruth, because this is where sometimes our fairy tale belief in knights and shining armor kicks in with their epic smolders and their, and, 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 and their riding in to save the day. This is where our theological hope also kicks in sometimes, that if we just sit here in our bitterness long enough, that maybe God is going to show up and fix it for us. And for sure, God does sometimes fix things for us, even despite us. But we so often see is that God moves 
and the Spirit blows and a path to redemption opens up, but we still need to choose to walk that path. We still need to move. And often God opens that path in response to things that we've done, that we've already done. It happened with Ruth. Did Ruth just sit there and wait for God to drop Boaz in her lap? Actually, later we'll hear that she crawled into Boaz's lap. But was Ruth just some helpless widow unable to do anything for herself or her mother-in-law? No. She acted. She moved. Ruth moved toward Boaz, and then God moved Boaz toward Ruth. You see, God knew Ruth, knitted Ruth together in her mother's womb, and God was with Ruth every step of the way. Ruth moved toward Naomi's sons, and God moved Naomi's son toward Ruth. Ruth moved with Naomi toward Bethlehem, the house of bread, and God moved bread toward Ruth and Naomi. God was there all along, moving and shaping, responding to Ruth's movement with the movement of the Spirit, with grace and hope. It was like this divine dance where we move and God moves, and together we make redemption happen. And so now Naomi is moving Naomi, who was a widow, who had nothing, was nobody, had lost all the men in her life. And remember, in this society, it was the man who gave meaning to life, purpose, a literal future. Society saw her that way, maybe, but God didn't. She saw herself that way, maybe, but God didn't. The kingdom of man saw her that way, maybe, but the kingdom of God didn't. Because God knit Naomi together. Naomi was made in the image of God. Naomi was made on purpose with a purpose. And God was there watching her move, ready to move with her, ready to dance with her. And next week, we're going to see that dance in full swing. We're going to see Naomi really moving. We're going to see Ruth moving and Boaz moving. And through it all, we know that God is moving always. But today, I want to end with a story, and I'm, I think I've shared it with you before because it was so impactful in my life. But I need to share it again because it's such a beautiful reminder that God is always right there with us, moving, that God never forgets us, that God is never done with us, that God is always ready to move right along with us. So, gosh, about 10 years ago almost, Hattie was an 89-year-old member of my congregation, and she was, for most of her life, in charge of that congregation. <laughs> but she just buried her second son, and she'd already buried two husbands. And she was alone in a nursing home that she didn't want to be in. And for a while there, she let everybody know <laughs> that she didn't want to be there. And she didn't know why she was still alive. Like literally, she asked me that one day when I was visiting with her. She said, I buried two husbands, and now I've buried two sons. I don't have anyone left. Why am I still here? And it was a legitimate question. Like she'd been widowed twice over. She used to be the heart of her congregation, but she hadn't been in the church for years. She'd lost her home lost her children, lost her purpose. And so you might begin to wonder, 
Has God forgotten about me? Can't he find me? But then Joyce moved into the room next door. And like Hattie, Joyce didn't want to be there. And before she knew Joyce had moved next door, Hattie said, I heard that Joyce (laughs) moved next door. I heard everything she shouted (laughs) next door. And she sounded a lot like me when I got here. And she's making life hard for the nursing staff around her. And we all know that. A lot of times when we make life hard for someone else, we're just making it harder for ourselves. Joyce, though, was in her early 70s. She'd always been an independent woman. She was the former mayor for years. But she had early onset dementia. And it was moving fast. And so like Hattie, Joyce lost her home, lost her church, lost her life. I still remember when I got there, she was like the liturgist, like she was ready to go every Sunday because she was used to being mayor and being up front and taking command. And by the time, just a year or so later, she didn't even know who I was. It was that fast. And so when Hattie heard that Joyce moved in, it gave her a pause. Because you see, Joyce used to be Hattie's neighbor in town. And Joyce had actually helped Hattie get settled years and years ago when Hattie moved there with her second husband. And now it was Joyce who needed settling. And there was no better person to help someone who didn't want to be there, someone who'd lost everything, than someone who didn't want to be there and who'd lost everything. God moved Joyce near Hattie And when Hattie stood up and walked next door, she moved near Joyce, and God's spirit moved, and they danced. And Joyce had a friend. Joyce had a comforter, and Hattie, Hattie had a purpose. This 89-year-old forgotten widow was not forgotten by God. God still knew her. God still opened paths for her. God still had a purpose for her. That's what Hattie told me a few weeks later. She said, I know why I'm here. I'm here for Joyce. Hattie moved and God moved. Ruth moved and God moved. And a woman who'd been bleeding for 20 years moved. And Jesus moved. It's it's what Jesus did. We've been talking about that for a while now. You might remember this story. It's in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus is headed to heal a synagogue leader's daughter, right? Actually raise her from the dead. Someone who has a life full of possibilities in front of her, right? Someone whom we can see what God is doing through that child. We know there's a lifetime of purpose ahead. And the crowds are pressing in and around him. And this woman, desperate, at the end of her line, untouchable by other humans for 20 years because she's been bleeding continually, this woman moves. She had every reason to give up, every reason to let bitterness take over her, every reason to say, my God has forgotten me, has thrown calamity at me, and just sit at home in her bitterness. And yet she moved she reached out she reached out and she touched the hem 
of Jesus' garment. And she moved, and then we read that Jesus moved, that God moved. He turned to see who had touched him. I mean, he was being jostled in crowds full of people trying to get to him, grabbing and pulling, and yet he was moved by the touch of this one woman. And Jesus turns, we read, and sees her, and he says, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. See, again and again, we move. God moves. And the world dances. Dances to a song of redemption. I saw it with Hattie. We see it in our story today with Ruth. We saw it with the woman in the crowd pushing to get to Jesus. And we'll see it again with Naomi. We move. God moves. And the world dances to a song of redemption. But now that you know what Jesus and the others did, there's just one one question left. Y'all know what it is yet? (laughs) What will you do? What will I do? Will you trust that God formed you? That God knitted you together? That God knows your inmost being? And that God didn't forget about you just because you're not young anymore? Or that God doesn't know you because you're not old enough yet? And will you trust God? to move to him, to move with him, to dance with him. That even on your loneliest days when you feel forgotten, when you feel useless, when you wonder like Hattie, why am I still here? That God is already moving toward you, just waiting for you to walk into his arms. Even it's the arms of your neighbor. They're still God's arms. And even on your best days, can you trust that God might just be moving you into the path of someone on their worst day, ready for the two of you to start dancing to that same redemption song that Ruth and Boaz danced to, that Hattie and Joyce danced to, that Jesus and the healed woman danced to? Amen. Amen.